Read. Joel chapter 1, verse 9, it reads as follows. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord, and the priests and the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth it. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, even the trees of the field are withered, because the joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast and call a psalm assembly together. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land and the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand and the destruction is from the Almighty. Shall it come? Is not the meat cut off before our eyes and yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down for the corn is withered. How the beasts groan. The herds of the cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O oh, the Lord, I, to, to thee I will, will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry unto thee, for the rivers of water are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Let's pray before we get into these verses today. Dear God, thank you for giving us the Bible to study, to learn from, to be our guide in our lives. Lord, be with this congregation here as we strive to learn more about your word, to always be trying to learn more, not just here, but in our own lives all the time, to make your word in our heart, our guide, in our lives. Be with me as I try to speak your word right now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue now with our study of the book of Joel. We finish up chapter 1 today. If you missed the previous ones, just a short recap, we started studying off for the book of Joel with a little bit of an introduction about what do we know about Joel? Who is Joel? What did Joel do or whatever? And the answer was, we don't know, right? We don't really know what Joel is all about. But what we do know is that he had this important message for everyone, right? And the message applies not just to the people that he was speaking to at his time, but the people of all times. It says right in chapter 1 that his message was not just for this generation, but for their children and their grandchildren. So it makes sense that the book isn't dated, that there's no way to figure out when did he speak, because it doesn't matter when did he speak, because the message still applies. It applied to the people back in Joel's day. It applies to us today. The message is still relevant. Also, we studied... We studied Chapter 1, so far, in our overview or introduction, when we talk about what is this, the, the theme, right? What's the theme of this book? What is the overarching idea? What is the one thing that we have to learn from this book as we study it? And the one thing for this one is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God's in control. God is God, right? Something that the people of Israel forgot, something that people today forget. That's why this message is still important, right? The reminder that whatever happens, you have to remember, God is more powerful than you. God is in control. God is God. God is sovereign. That's the way I would sum up this book. That all the things that we'll be studying go toward that theme. And in chapter 1, the first part, 
we studied how that theme was expressed through, you know, a natural disaster. And we're going to continue to see more natural disasters as we read more into this book. The first one we studied was the locusts, right? Now, locusts is not as common today, right? Now that people have, like, pesticides and stuff like that. But back then, it was a real thing, like a real thing where it was like a natural disaster. Swarms of locusts come and eat up everything, and there's no way to stop them. And it ruins all your crops and all your fields and everything like that. It was legitimate fear and was something that actually happened to Israel back in the day. When you have things like natural disasters, of course, it's a reminder of how powerless we are as just mere human beings to control the forces of nature. The forces of God are not natural disasters called acts of God, right? They're a reminder of how powerful God is, about what God can do. When you have things like the locust swarm, or you see in the news this week, if you look at Hawaii, right? There's volcanoes, right? Blowing up everywhere, sending lava, destroying homes, right? You might think we're, we're so evolved as human beings. We can engineer our houses all these ways, right? We can build and develop everything. But in reality, it's nothing compared to God's power. He can make a volcano bubble up anytime, and that lava... You know, you see the pictures, just levels everything, right? Burns everything, covers everything. It's gone. We are powerless when we compare ourselves to how awesome God is, right? God's on a whole different level. He's not on the same plane as the way what we can think of or even imagine. That's God, the all-powerful, God, the almighty. God expressing himself through things like we read in Joel, like these locusts. And these locusts, they did different things, right? They gnawed away at Israel. They, 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 they ate up Israel. And eventually they swarmed over Israel, which was very representative of what would eventually happen to them, right? Where their country was, uh, you know, declined and uh, fell into sin. And eventually had other people swarm all over them, right? Very symbolic, the way God uses these locusts, right? And... We continue with some of that symbolism today when it comes to how he expressed himself through some of these natural disasters that befell Israel. We read first when we started in verse number 10 and going on about the situation that the land had arrived in, right? Oh, I forgot in my recap. Before we go on to verse 10 and the last time when we studied, we studied the last time the verses of, of, about the coming of the locusts, right? And how people were, were, people were called out for being unawares, right? Of these coming things that weren't prepared or anything like that, right? And it talks about different people. It talks about the ministers and the husbandmen and all these people. But we noted last time the first person that was called out for being, uh, you know, not ready and being the one that's going to weep and be unhappy in verse number five. It was the drunkards. The drunkards were called out. Now, why is that? We didn't talk really about, you know, alcohol that much. We know that we've heard plenty of messages about that, about the evils of alcohol. Last time we talked about the symbolism of alcohol, though. What does it mean that Israel had become like a drunkard, right? And people who drink and talked about how is that similar, right? And the similarity is this. That people who choose to say, hey, you know, I'm make up the reason, you know, even though I believe in God, I'm a Christian or whatever, I choose to drink this alcohol, I think it's fine or whatever. Those are the people that have already in their heart started to uh, 
to, to declare themselves to be slacking off, right? To not be the one that's most attentive. They're already finding ways to say, oh, I don't need to be like at the top of my uh, uh, attentiveness and caring the most or whatever. It's like, oh, it's just a small thing. It's not going to hurt, right? No big deal. And we know in reality it's true. For most people, there's many Christians that drink alcohol. To them, it's no big deal. They do it and they're really bad out of it. But it's symbolic, symbolic of the way people think, right? That their thought processes, well, God says this, but really doesn't matter, right? And that's a trap that Israel fell into, right? Oh, God said this. Ah, it doesn't matter. He said, don't worship other idols. Ah, it doesn't seem to matter. We could do this, right? God said, don't do this sin. Ah, we can do it this one time. It won't matter. It won't kill us. It won't hurt us. That's what it's emblematic of. And that's kind of the sign of Israel's slow decline, slow descent into all these further disasters and problems and stuff. That their heart was so distracted, right? Their heart was already set in the wrong place. And it was symbolized. I think that's why God calls these out first. By the drunkards, right? Those people already, you know, that they've already said in the heart that they knew that alcohol is not good. They made the excuses. They did their own thing. And that's why they were caught unawares. All right. So that, that finishes up the summary. Let's go on to new verses today. Verse 10 talks about the field is wasted, right? Verse 12, the vine is dried up, right? Even all these different trees are all dried up and messed up and everything like that, right? Uh, verse number, verse number uh, 15 talks about the destruction of the Almighty, God's destruction, right? Verse 16, the meat is cut off from you, right? Verse 17, the seed is rotten. Verse 18, the beasts are groaning, right? Why is this? Why is this? And we're learning verse 19 and 20, what's happening now to Israel? What else is happening now? It says, O Lord, to thee I will cry for the fire, fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. And what else? Verse 20. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of water are dried up. The rivers of water are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So what we see here is another two natural disasters that are befalling Israel, that are causing them all these problems with their flocks and their crops and all these key elements of life. What are the problems? Well, the rivers of water are dried up. Well, that to me means drought, right? This is something that we all should be familiar with because just a few years ago, you heard on the news all day long, right? California, we are in drought, right? We have to conserve water, right? Oh, we haven't had rain in so long, right? It should be fresh in our minds. We know what drought is because we experienced it not that long ago, right? And we know from having experienced it, what happens when there's drought? Well, when you go up into the mountains and the, into the open areas, what happens? Well, look at all the grasses and everything. There's no grass and there's no growing all these trees. Instead, you have dry grass, right? Dry grass and dry brush. What happens when there's all this dry grass and dry brush? We know because it was in the news uh, all over the place in the past couple of years, right? You're susceptible to wildfires, right? Once something starts that dry grass burning, what happens? Vroom! The whole area starts burning, right? There was a Southern California wildfire. Do you remember that, right? All, all that land burned up, right? Houses everywhere burning up. We had the Nap Napa wildfires not that long ago. It probably was a remnant of that, right? 
of all those uh, dry grasses and stuff from long ago and dead trees and everything else from the drought, right? That made it so easy that even somewhere so close, right? It's just like an hour's drive, drive to Napa. You can see it's all, it was all burned down, right? All, all that whole area, all the wildfires. I'm guessing it was no different in Israel's day, right? It said the rivers of water dried up, verse 22, and the fire devoured the pastures of the wilderness, right? When there's drought, it's so easy for that fire to come, right? And burn everything, uh, everything there, like all the fields, all the crops, all the pastures. Just happened like that. So again, God sends this disaster, and it calls Israel to think about, you know, what they're doing. What happened? Why was it that this came? Well, they didn't have water, right? That's what drought is. Drought is you don't have water. You don't have rain. You know, water is so fundamental to life, right? We all know that, right? How important water is, even from a simple biological standpoint, right? All animals, you got to have water, right? You don't have water, you die, right? People say that you can live longer without food than you can without water. Got to have water. Water so critical. And we know too this, because we have the whole Bible now. We know, we know who represents the spring of living water, right? Who is that? Well, it's Jesus Christ. And water represents God too, right? That's only through him that we have the water that will keep it so that we will never thirst again. Israel lacked water. What it means is Israel lacked God, right? They didn't have God. They turned away from him. They intentionally went away from him. And what happens when you don't have God? You open yourself up to a lot of bad stuff, right? You're making this ground fertile for disaster. It's like, it's like intentionally drying out your grass. When you dry out your grass, okay, now you're ready for the wildfire to come, right? That's what Israel was doing. They set themselves up in that situation. They ignored the water they needed, right? You got to have water, right? You know, when you, they try to find some substitute, right? Instead of drinking this, you know, good, pure water from God, they wanted to go find idols, right? They wanted to go find themselves and do their own sin and their own corruption, right? That doesn't work. Even science today says we got to have water, right? You can drink all these other things, and there's always a downside to it, right? Oh, you drink soda. They say it's bad for you. It has sugar in it, right? Don't drink too much soda, right? You drink water. It's better. Or coffee. Oh, it's caffeine. Caffeine's bad for you. Don't drink coffee, right? Or drink alcohol. We already talked about alcohol today, right? It has alcohol in it. It's bad for you. You can't drink so much of it or whatever, right? That's kind of like what Israel was doing, right? They had the good, sweet water. They said, let's drink this alcohol, let's drink the coffee, let's drink the soda, let's drink this and that, right? They went for everything else, but for the thing they needed to keep them correctly hydrated, right? And because of that, they set themselves up for the wrong path. They set themselves up for disaster. That's what happens when we push away God, when we send God away from our life, that makes our soul a fertile ground for disaster, for the wildfire, for whatever we call it, right? And we've seen it so many times, sadly, sadly, just from own observational evidence, right? We've heard so many stories about people who've done this, and they realize that, oh, you know, that there is 
a problem when you put God out of your life. One guy I knew grew up in the church, right? And grew up in church. One church since he was a little kid, all the way up through college age, right? But if, at, when he got to college age, what happened was he had a falling out with his family, right? Uh, the, you know, it had to do with how his, uh, his parents got divorced. Those parents got divorced, right? Parents got divorced, and he got resentful because of that, right? And he blamed his dad. He said, oh, it's his dad's fault or whatever. And his dad was the one, you know, making everyone go to church and everything like that. So after the divorce, he said, forget it. I'm not going to church anymore. I don't need God anymore. I'm, you know, old now, college age, right? He went off to college, go live by himself or whatever. He said, no more, you know? I, I don't, I'm, I'm not following this anymore, right? Going off on my own, doing my own thing, doing my own way, right? And just like many people that you and I know when we went to college, you know, he lived the college life, right? And not caring about God, right? But caring about doing whatever he thought about, you know, to have fun, party, do whatever, right? What happened was, because he didn't have that anchor of God in his life, right? And this is the way he tells it, right? He didn't have the anchor of God in life. He was able to go totally off the rails, right? It's not just, oh, I go to college, I'm free now, I go have some fun. It's like there's no limit, right? He felt like he could just do whatever. So he would do like really hardcore partying, right? And he would go have all-nighters and drink alcohol all night and go drive off to wherever. And that was life. And he didn't realize how, you know, which was power he'd gotten to until one night... He woke up on the side of the road, passed out, drunk or whatever. And he's like, how did I get here? Why am I on the side of the highway here? You know, what's going on? Right? And that's when he realized in his life, and he shared it with me, he realized in his life that, oh, that he had something wrong, right? That he had allowed himself to fly off the rails like this. And what he was missing was what he had previous in his life. He didn't have God as that guide in his life. And that's when he turned back to the church and turned back to God, right, in his life. And we've seen that so many times, not just from extreme examples from that, but we know in our in people that we've seen, right, nope, that they might leave the church and you see them and there's a bit of an emptiness in their life, right? I run into people all the time. It doesn't mean that, oh, someone left the church and some horrible thing happened to them. No, that's not what happens. In fact, Horrible things happen all the time. Does not God promise that, oh, even to Christians, bad things will happen, right? So it's not that. It's not that, oh, so-and-so left the church and then they got some, you know, horrible thing or whatever. But, you know, I'll run into these people, right? And say, oh, how you doing, right? How, how the family? How the kids, right? And they'll tell me about, you know, all these great things, right? Like, oh, they have a, you know, they have a big fancier house, bigger house than me, right? They're making more money than me and doing good in their job and everything like that. But then, you know, I ask them like, oh, you know, like, are you going to church anywhere nowadays, right? And then it's always kind of like interesting to see their reaction. You know, some of them, they'll get really like, oh, you know, very like, you know, you can tell from their reaction, kind of defensive and kind of like, oh, that, that they want to say something like, yeah, you know, things are great between me and God but they feel kind of ashamed maybe or whatever. But you look at their light, you look at their, their face, and you can tell that, yeah, they know that something's missing, right? Isn't it something missing when we don't have God on our side? You see, the thing is this. The thing is this. The reason we need God, we need this water, 
It's not that it always is the one that's gonna, you know, give us, you know, humongous blessing all the time or whatever. But it's because God is the one that keeps us in our time of trouble, in our time of adversity, right? When we have God there, he's our tether that keeps us from going off the rails to going like, like that friend I had that when, he, when it would get bad or whatever, it's like, oh, I just go in a spiral and get drunk all the time and do all this crazy stuff, right? God is the one that keeps us grounded, that keeps us focused, that keeps our eyes on what really matters. You know, bad stuff's happened to me, probably bad stuff's happened to you, but I never worry about it, right? Bad stuff happens to the world all the time. Natural disasters, problems all the time, you know, shootings. You know, Melvin talked about it just a couple weeks ago, right? How do we deal with this? You hear it in the news all the time. Oh, there's another shooting. Oh, there's another terrorist attack. Oh, there's another this or that. He doesn't worry about it one bit. Why is that? Because we have God in our lives. Can you imagine if he did it? What's your reaction? It's probably the reaction that the world is having today. We have to freak out. We have to protest. We have to figure out something. We have to be super scared all the time. We have no peace. We can't have peace. We're worried about the next thing, whether it be the next terrorist attack, the next earthquake, the next whatever. You can never have peace, can you? Huh? Because we don't have God to remind us, to guide us through that trouble, right? If you did, you would know the earthquake can't hurt me. The terrorists can't hurt me. None of that can hurt me. Why is that? Because we have God. What's the worst that can happen? We die, we go to heaven, and we rejoice forevermore. Isn't that right? That's what Israel lost sight of. They had a God that gave them everything. They chose to ignore that. And they went on their own path. Is it surprising today that so many people ignore God and they wind up on their own path? And they wind up on the path that leads to what? They lead to depression, right? They lead to anxiety all the time. They lead to unhappiness. They lead to all these things. When I faced trouble, like a couple years ago, I shared this before, a couple years ago I got laid out from my job, right? But it was so weird that day that I got laid off. You know, we didn't have enough work and they shut down, shut down a lot of people, laid off a lot of people. That day, I didn't feel anything, right? I would think that, you know, this is like the first time I've ever been like laid off, right? Stereotypically, you'd think you'd be very unhappy, you'd be sad, you'd be like, oh, you know, stressed out. But for whatever reason, that day, you know, I just went and called Lane and said, oh, I got laid off today, well, whatever, right? It seemed like not a big deal because I knew in my heart, well, God's going to take care of me, right? And he did, you know, you know, got a new job, right? No big deal, right? Because I had that peace. I knew that he's on my side, right? Whatever we face, that's why we need him. That's why we have him. Look, compare this. I'm sure you guys have known, you know, people, Christians, right? They've had no problems, diseases, bad diseases, right? Some of them even died early, right, in their life. Should have lived longer, had disease. But look how they handle their disease compared to non-Christians, right? Look at someone like, like Eugene, right? He had diseases, he had a whole host of diseases, right? He had heart disease, he had kidney failure. Did you ever seem like, you know, when you talked to him, like he really was worried about that? I don't think so. Right? I talked to him so much, he never acted like a guy that's like, oh, 
you have heart disease and kidney failure ever, right? And all these things like that. But never talked about it at all, seems like, right? You never mentioned it. You know, the, the funniest thing was one time was when we were talking to him. I would talk to Eugene. Hey, Eugene, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks now. What's going on? He's like, oh, no. You know, I just had like a heart attack. It's okay. You know? I was like, you had a heart attack? I reacted like, you had a heart attack and you're here? Like, are you okay? Did you see a doctor? He's like, no, no. It was just a small heart attack. I took some medicine and it was okay, right? I was like, you know, to me, I thought, oh, you know, if I had a heart attack, wouldn't I be stressed out and worried and not, not thinking about, I need to go to church and, you know, teach my Chinese school class or whatever. He's like, no big deal. That's the peace you have when you have God. Other people, oh, I can imagine. There's a lot of people that, that have the exact opposite story, right? You get the heart attack, you curse God. You say, God, I don't, I'm so angry. I don't want to follow you anymore. I'm not going to go down this road with you anymore. I'm so worried and stressed about my next thing. I'm going to worry about my diet. I'm going to worry about this, this, and this. Be scared. No. The right way is we need to rely on God. God carries us through. Israel didn't do that. They said, you know what, we're going to find someone else to carry us through. Follow some other way. But we need to stick to, and that's why they were a fertile ground for this wildfire disaster going down the wrong path. In our hearts, we need to stick close to God. We need to keep on worshiping God. Keep close to God so that when, whenever the bad things happen, we have, we have that peace. We have that comfort. We have that guide of God in our lives. That's chapter one, looks like people are telling us to finish up. We'll go on to chapter two next time, but let's end off with a word of prayer. Dear God, we see from your word of Joel, the warning, right, of drought, of disaster and fire. We can avoid that by sticking close to the water, the water of God, your water, God. We need to be close to you so that whatever happens, we have you as a guide. Yes, we know there's going to be up and down and all this stuff, but when it happens, we have you as our tether. We have you as our support. Please be with us and bless us the rest of Sunday. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.